Welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is entitled Jason Baldinger's KTEL Record. And let's face it, this is the person who we said we decided now this is 11. This is episode 102 of the podcast. And probably my 11th appearance. So yes, so... I do 1 in 10. Yes, you do 1 in 10. So you got you got to get up to 110 before I can do this again. So. No, but you have a book coming out in April, and who knows who I'm going to book next. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, our guest is Jason Baldinger, who knows something about Jason Baldinger's KTEL record. We're here to talk about a history of back roads misplaced, collected poems from 2010 to 2020. And yeah. yeah, so this book is, it's the KTEL record, but it's more than that. It's more the box set in a way. I, yeah. With B-sides uh, and... Without the annoying bonus tracks. Yes. You know, I mean, there are tracks that... That's going to get weird. Never mind. <laughs> There are things that haven't been out before, but they, you know, they were yes, supposed so, to come out. Yes, so this is the Greatest Hits collection. This is also a collection of poems from a book that was going to be in print and never made it to print. There's an audiobook version of it, though. There is an audiobook version of it, of, and there's also poems from books that are out of print. That's true. Yes. yes. So so maybe it's not the Kate Tower, maybe it's the box set. Yeah. But it's a lot of killer. I mean, having read the book twice... It's it's all killer Thank and you no for filler, your by the way. Oh, you're you're quite welcome. Thank you for 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 asking me to do it. It was my pleasure to read this in PDF form and physical paper copy form. Physical paper copy form. Love it. I actually think this episode should be titled Keystone Cops or The Gentle Art of Revision. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I might have like we might have talked for 5 to 10 minutes and I might have forgotten to hit the record button. And then we had a beer explode. And then we had a beer explode. Yeah. Which, you know what I'll do? Maybe I'll cut that and put that on the end. <laughs> so it's like a cannonball run ending with yes. bloopers? Yes. <laughs> Shit, yeah, I'm doing good. that. I'm doing that. But yeah, so we were we were just talking, actually, about how um, this how collection... Revision is? How important revision is. The second time we're having this conversation in, in the last twenty minutes um, is, um, you know, what it means to do the go back. I mean, again, this is a decade of poems. You're someone who has been, I always say, has been in beast mode for the last few years now. Yeah, I mean, I put out the first book with Jerome Crooks in twenty eleven. And at that point in time, was uh, coming out of playing crew three bands and writing songs. And I'd been writing poetry off and on for years, but I'd been in songwriter mode and uh, mm. was very quickly kind of foisted into doing readings and, you know, like having your first six poems that you've actually done revision work on to read in front of someone. Uh, was kind of terrifying. And then, you know, like a year later to be on the road doing it for audiences, you know, it's just been kind of a whirlwind since that point in time. And, uh, you know, the first few years weren't, you know, the books kind of came out slowly, but once I found footing with a bunch of different publishers, it's kind of, yeah, when I'm ready for a book, I can usually find a place to take it fairly quickly. So. Yes. Well, and I think also that you produce work. Uh, you produce high-quality work with such consistency. Thank you. And regularity. I appreciate And that. in such quantities. Well, just telling those everyday stories. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is something I've been saying to my poetry students. Uh, since I'm doing Poetry One Workshop is the ways in which, um, you know, one of the things that you said to me that helped me actually a lot out as a creative writer that I hope to gift to them is we were in Soundcat, me and me and a friend, mutual friend Derek Zanetti were in Soundcat and he was trying to do creative writing workshops at his house and he was like, I have prompts, we'll have prompts and we'll write off prompts and you were like, I don't hate prompts. Yeah, you don't know, <laughs> you know, it's funny, it's 
the one, the textbook that I'm using, one of the textbooks I'm using for the poetry workshop, actually calls them forced writing exercises. I, Not I, prompts. Prompts sounds friendly. Forced writing exercises, you know? Yeah. Which I think maybe is the, the, the author's attitude towards prompts. And you said, if it's a story I could tell at the end of the day, if I'm having dinner or a beer with somebody, it's probably something that can and should be a poem. Yeah. I agree with that still. I will keep writing poems that way, too. Yes. I mean, even for me, I always thought of, like, is it, you know, and did I lose a few hundred poems to face to the few years of Facebook? But if it's a status update, even. No, I mean... Is that a poem? And Which yeah. is why I don't share thoughts on status updates anymore. Or I can tweets. understand I that. write poems. Yeah. Turn it into a poem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, a poem can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. So, prose poem status update chat book... There you go. There, there's my next suggestion to you after you write your St. Francis College book. Yes, that is right. I could just go back through Facebook memories. A year of... Yeah. A year of that. Oh. But yeah, so... I think then the thing about how that, that momentum is built and also the way that the writing consistently has you know and there has been the i've noticed having read your well having read your last 11 things or whatever (laughs) because the podcast um (laughs) has been because we've only talked about if you've been on here 11 times except for unconditional surrender Mm -hmm. which was a book you edited which you still had books in 10 of those podcasts have been about things that you've put out yes and so having read the last 10, now 11 things, um, or 9, 10, now 10 things, because I've had whiskey, everyone. Um, he has, folks. Yes. Um, that there has been a stylistic evolution. Yes. I, and I, that some of this also is, much like a KTEL box set or something, it has been remastered. Yes. Um, so when... We're having fun trying to like draw each other back to the points that we covered in the first five minutes before the time slip, yes. um, or the whatever they call it, the Marvel universe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, looking down the barrel of the pan- the then pandemic, the soon to be endemic, um, I was I couldn't write for a while. And I'm still kind of struggling a bit. I think a lot of people are. There's so much going on. It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around and put your foot on something that feels yes. like reality. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, is it also the Abraham Maslow thing about, you know, the hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. and that actually are maybe like food, shelter, survival mm-hmm. needs... <laughs> or a little in question at the moment, right. you know, or... So your creative a... process is kind of, like, huddling in the corner, you yes. know, and a little frightened right now. And like, yes. Hi, uh, <laughs> wait, how, do, how does my creative process eat? <laughs> yes. You know, or get me to eat, which it, it doesn't. Or how does, how does my creative process get over the Canadian border if I need to? How does does my, my creative process have a bug out bag? Can it get me to Norway yes. as quickly as possible? Um, yes. Yeah, so as we were starting the pandemic and I had time on my hands, uh, and this probably wouldn't have happened otherwise, I started reading through uh, all the books that I put out since uh, The Whiskey Rebellion, which would have come out in 2011. And I kind of came up with a roster of poems, but the first three or four books were on a hard drive that I couldn't access. Mm. So I immediately had to retype three or four, you know, however many poems I took from those books, which were like 25 or 30 poems. And as soon as you start typing something, you're going to start revising something. There's no way that that's not going to happen. Um, But then further, when you put all the poems together, then I edit it as a book and everything gets edited so it fits with each other. So the rise and fall in the storytelling works. Um, yeah. Because this does, I think, read somewhat novelistically for being a book of poetry. Yes. Um, and it's not just that it's length. It, it covers a large period of time. And, yeah, all the, the smaller moments that fit together, just like a novel would. Um, 
so yeah there there is that moment that with poems from the early 2010s I guess um, there wasn't much that I found necessarily cringeworthy but there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have done the same way or there were ways to read a line or to edit a line that felt better now or that I was a the writer that I am now couldn't handle mm. you know I mean when you start and especially when you start publishing and being published for the first time you're oftentimes spitballing a little bit yeah. you know and you're, you're you're working it out and you're learning and as you're revising you're learning how not to do that uh, so that was a, a big part of that changing some of those things and just making the poems a little more readable a little less wordy because uh, they were some wordy fucking poems at points too uh, and, and again seeing how to make the, the, the work ride together I think as I was saying to you earlier at least with uh, the books up to lower 48 I was still learning line breaks uh, a lot and in trying to conserve space so the lower 48 didn't get too long uh, the line breaks got cut in a, in a weird fashion mm. so being able to revisit that was also kind of nice and, and get things more readable and a little more sensical perhaps which it's also I guess that is act of like sort of radical self-awareness to do the <laughs> retrospective thing yes. and to, to think in that deep and you know you you might have said earlier about how like you realized you had done these tricks or you used mm -hmm. these words a lot you're confronted by all of your your all the ways in which you write um, mm. because you know and I, I didn't go through writing classes but we all have little things that we do little flourishes yeah. Uh, yeah. ways that, that, that we fake things or get around something and when you're confronted with those you're like oh, oh alright I, I, I gotta call myself on my bullshit here yes <laughs> yeah and th that's also another uh, important part of revision but it's a, it's a painfully self aware part of yes. it because you, you're now so meta into the whole damn thing that uh, yeah it becomes hard to know what part of it's real <laughs> oh dear well but the book is real and the book is good 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 and it exists and it's real and I think that for me is I think what has always been you know is that I really have liked everything you've yours that I've read I the think. next thing is always the thing that's a little better yeah you well, know you have yet the sophomore slump I think it's too late to sophomore slump I mean may, maybe there's a late career malaise Waiting for you out there, maybe, but I don't know. I don't think so. Um, how, how? I guess I don't know. Can you get too jaded? Uh, I mean, you can. You know, well, what the fuck happened to Stevie Wonder? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know he had that early seventies run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he did the the music for Aquarium album, yeah. and then next thing you know, is I just called to say I love you. Yeah, we went pure. You know, how do you go from Inner Visions? And songs in the key of life to I just called to say I love you. I mean, it could happen. Like people do yeah, lose it. It, it. You 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 might lose it. You're 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 starting to talk to some part of me that's getting scared. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. But <laughs> can I, I write the last good poem I'll ever write? Damn it. Well, you know, oh. isn't that a motivation thing? I will say, like when I, you know, we're coming up on, and I think you know this will be out the day I'll probably drop it on the Monday Okay. in January which will be the day after the one year anniversary of my book coming out Okay. and now my first book and you know somebody who redshirted themselves for a really long time yes. maybe my first book should have been 10 years ago or something um, I was just too damn precious with everything yeah. um, there's that moment of when you put a book out and it's like there's nothing left there's nothing left that's it this is never going to happen again. This was great. This is never going to happen again. I will never be able to. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I for me, I, I always just kind of grab a batch of poems. And if you feel like it's time to make a book, you put a book together. Mm -hmm. And you just keep rolling that way. And, you know, I, I just did that, you know, usually first of the year, around the first of the year, I go through what's around. You know, what got published last year... You know, read through things, what hasn't been published, what needs revised, 
how many poems do I have laying around that aren't tied up in other projects? And what's here? What can I do with this? What, what am I looking at? Do I want to do a couple of books this year? Do I want to do, you know, do I want to sit for a while? Am I ready for something or not? Um, and I think I had mentioned to you probably the last time I was here, I was talking about doing like a subscription series of chapbooks this year, which I just couldn't get my ass motivated enough to do. But I do like that idea of just doing a bunch of chat books this year mm. and putting out small doses and collecting Club Pop Singles Club. Yeah, something a little different. Just yeah. So you're not banging up on 60 poems and then the next 60 poems and then the next 60 poems. Uh, you know, 10, 20 poems at a time. A little easier to handle. So how do you keep track of all this? This is a question that, I mean... <laughs> you know, because again, being so prolific, I mean, this is you. Well, maybe it's you have the Bob Pollard problem. No, like, how do you keep track of, you know, where stuff is at? I generally throw. Uh, I start a, a file at the beginning of the year for that year, mm. and then you just start throwing things in there. You know, as they're published put them in that file and as a project comes up say James and I James Banger who I, I've done two and a third book soon to come with uh, maybe we're ready to start a book and I need 20 poems and I can go through that folder mm. and go okay these have been published these are ready to go these haven't been published they're still ready to go I just haven't found a place for them yet mm. and then you pick out maybe the best 20 of those and you have the rest of it sitting there for the next one and generally the themes that I'm working with they flow together pretty well there's a lot of travel poems in there there's a lot of the decay of America poems in here I mean you may find different themes floating mm. you know that tie things together differently but the overarching themes are, are there mm. so and have been consistently and being refined for the last 10 fucking years yes Twelve now, I guess, but whatever. Yeah, it is twenty twenty two. Yeah, it is twenty twenty two now. Yeah, and so you do have a chapbook coming out in April. Yes, and you have this book with James, which we could do it on Zoom. We can do we that. Could do a three way Zoom. Nice and record it and make a podcast with you and James at the same time. Okay. Well, we'll do. I like we tried that last time and it didn't really work. We did phone last time, I think. We did phone last time and he was very faint. Yes, and we were all very noisy and I tried to clean it up and fix it and. Yeah, well, but you got Jim's back on another time. Yes, on Zoom. Yeah, and so we'll do a, we'll do two this year. So you'll be on. So we'll, we'll at least they're we're at least going to get to hundred and four by the end of the year. <laughs> then um, I do have someone in mind for the next one, but I have to read the book first. Make sure. All right. Yeah. So at least read the book first before I offer. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. it helps a little. Yes, bit. absolutely. All that. <laughs> um. But yeah, I don't know. Do we want to? I, I, you know what? I was thinking actually. I had the horrible because I'm not gonna. I don't go back and listen to these things. <laughs> you know, I remember. I was. I was reading yesterday. I was like, I gotta pick some out for Jason to read. And then I realized, wait, did he read that at the other time? I mean, some am I, am I, I that read. predictable? <laughs> so I don't know. Is there? Is there? Maybe do you want to give us a little, little, little sampler? Sure. <laughs> Let's see. Of a history of backroads was placed, which is on Kung Fu Treachery Press, which is would be available. Do they have a web store yet? They do not. They but, do not. Uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I think Bookshop has it as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, and you should use Bookshop whenever possible. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty great. Yes, and through you as well, right? I mean, you have a yeah, I do. And, and your Bandcamp now. You are you doing the Bandcamp merch thing as well? As I've long started, with the but I don't have the store completely full of what all is available. Okay. I still need to do that. Oh, okay. Um, here, this is a poem called "I Am Rain." It's a little bit longer. It's about uh, Louisiana and the the great state of. Uh, well, the great state of Louisiana and New Orleans, I think, is what I intended to say. Mm. Anyway, I Am Rain, and this is a poem that changed quite a bit from the original Lower 48 version. Mm. On a balcony over Jackson Square, sipping gin and tonic, an older couple from Dallas sing the Katrina lament. Ain't no wave, no gust of wind gonna hold my body down. 
We roar with naked women. Mermaids float across Mardi Gras night. Congo Square blares wild chupatulas. Marie Laveau's bones keep French Quarter rhythm. Bourbon Street pirates hang out boogie-woogie-woogie. Banjos play jazz vulgar as it was born. A 500-pound black man swims across aquamarine walls, belts St. James Infirmary ready for his coffin. I shoot dice for pallbearer. The two-lane waitress from Houston lines up a beta and whiskey chasers. She charges me for the odds. Quartet rips hard bop. Fierce roots, savage teeth, Buddy Bolton's funky butt conjures on the steam. 3 a.m. zombies hold tropical storms by wings. I'm breathless, rolling, a big river across levees, this neon glory. Dixie Diner hamburgers glow in drunk diamond hands. I need an anchor in jukebox, light, jukebox lights. Speakers crowd, cough classic craft Bobby Marchand, Ernie K. Doe, Lee Dorsey, Alan Toussaint. If I hear Frankie Ford, I'll lose my fucking mind. Dumaine at Royale, the corner of Chartiers, not as far as Decatur's summer is helpless, and I am rain dying in this swamp air. Blackout. Dreams fall easy. Red fades the devil. I walk on gilded splinters. Faulkner writes so soldiers pay with dipper mouth blues endless in his head. Andrew Jackson fights Johnny Horton over the rights to the Ballad of New Orleans. A windshield covered in leeches. Mannequin alligators in red velvet dresses swing hips across Storyville. Irma Thomas lights prayer candles to appease that motherfucker son. Pigeons dust off rented beignets. Captain America, tell me when we get our asses to the other side of Pontchartrain. So when I did the lower 48, my intention was to just put out that that would just be my work. I would keep adding to those poems with every road trip and revising that book. And thank God I didn't fucking do that. <laughs> they would have been so obnoxious. <laughs> All right, let's do... A, oh, let's do uh, Neil Young and Albuquerque. Mm. That's from a book that didn't actually come out. Let me find it now, though. 108. One, oh, yep, yeah, I'm almost there. There it is. Like Neil Young in Albuquerque. Nope. Glasses on is the way this has to work, apparently, yes. folks. May, no, glasses off. We'll it's do dark it. in here. It's a little dark in here. Like Neil Young in Albuquerque. The couple at the door see my shirt and ask if I brought the rain. If I knew them better, I'd say in this town, rain has a habit of following you. It's a thing you can't shake. Solitary, dark clouds at your heels, endlessly. Today I feel like Neil Young in Albuquerque, wanting breakfast, a joint, and anonymity. I've felt this way for several seasons, clawing and uncomfortable, something I can't shake, so instead I ease into it, half measures. The waitress yawns and waits for order up. I used to come here with my grandfather, weekly dinners in the wake of my father's death, his best attempts to be part of my life, but never knowing how to relate. I think of my father, if you ask him what he wanted for breakfast, he would always say Eggs Benedict. I never saw him order it. Strange, even at the far end of our cities, we find our histories glaring. While eating Eggs Benedict, I wonder if turning 40 has anything to do with this feeling. Age puts weight on you, and I mean that metaphorically. I consider my father dead over 30 years, my grandfather gone over 20. I consider generations, all the boughs of a bloodline tree. Red-shirted cooks spin around an open range, an array of Belgian waffles and strawberries, of eggs and toast, of home fries a la carte, of Greek omelets appear out of the tornado, the ballet, the flickers of fire. This furnace glows indelible forever. 
a young black kid in an old marine bus. When they pause, I see the same look on their face. The indignity of work, the pain of physical labor. Is it a muscle memory or a generational memory? Our dreams squeezed out of us by doing so much for nothing. The rain has mostly stopped. Couples cringe under their umbrellas. I cross the bridge to take when things get serious. I turn around at the North for Sales welcome sign and then cross it again. The Edgar Thompson works looks as it does on the, on the cover of Jack Gilbert's Tough Heaven. His poems flash, one line surfaces. We find the heart by dismantling what the heart knows. And that was supposed to come out in a book called uh, Fragments of the Rainy Season. Yes. And shit just, uh, yeah. It Things just, happen. It, yeah. It just, it's just how it goes. Do, uh, I forget what book this was in. <laughs> I think <laughs> it was in This Useless Beauty, but I can't remember. Uh, this is a, a poem for Andre Tarkovsky that was inspired by the movie Solaris. Mm. I sit and watch fall forever. Watch leaves fall forever. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And sometimes it rains, sometimes it rains forever. Colloidal, viscous rain. And I think in terms of video, how our mind films clouds, how there's always a horse. These expressions in images, the ocean, the influence of our thoughts. Everything in our lives is anachronistic. Our futures misremembered to keep time in order, the past a ladder that swallows its own tail. A hive mind. We are connected to a hive mind. We feed its ocean with our thoughts. We build realities in banal nonsense in imaginings of ourselves. There is no big reveal. I found the edge of time sitting on my tongue and I sat there and I burned the remnants of myself. They say you always remember your first look at space. I always remember looking at the ocean, and I wonder if the ocean is happy. I wonder about the hive mind agitated by fear. I wonder if we get the same nervous taste simultaneously. I wonder if we took a poll of our fears, if we weren't all experiencing the same things, but we ran out of words, so we edited ourselves. We edited time and cut in little nostalgic portraits all the happy memories of being humans, oceans, horses, or hives. Throw out your suicides. These generations see the end, but they never die. Our time is built on, but cannot stomach its own resurrection. When I got back, I did a 75-day road trip in 2012 and spent a lot of time listening to local radio as I was running across the country and generally just like running into the NPR station in bumfuck nowhere mm. uh, and the BFI's top 100 had just been revised and come out and when I got back from that trip I, I looked up what the BFI looked like at that point in time and did kind of an inventory of what movies I had and hadn't seen, and of the top 20, I think I had, at that point, only seen maybe five. Wow. So I went through it and did, uh, that summer did a lot of watching, and what idea had come to me, and I, it was supposed to be a chapbook that never happened, uh, was to write poems inspired by those 20 or first 25 films. Mm. Uh, so Solaris was probably one of the more successful ones of those but I would watch the movie once just to like take it in I would watch it a second time with commentary and, and write down notes or thoughts or whatever and then I would watch it a third time without the commentary and just take notes freely and try and compile all of that into something uh and yeah, Solaris and the, the, the Forana Carina poem worked out pretty well. Mm. A couple others did. Most of them sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think again, is that, you know, that's not, is that far from a prompt, you know, the ekphrastic thing? I am yeah. not a fan. Um, 
I, I like for me it. I don't know. I think does it. Does an ekphrastic poem become just so singular that you need the painting or you need the work of art? And if in order for it to work, it has to almost transcend what it's supposed to be. See, uh, that's why I think Solaris is actually successful because I think it takes the movie and you can still see the movie in the yes. poem, but it's so, something else. I mean, with everything that we've heard through Facebook and whatnot over the last couple of years, that poem actually kind of fits into our Discordian reality <laughs> yeah. at this point in time. So sometimes you win in that regard. Uh, most of the poems that I tried fell flat and yeah. were just like kind of rough retellings. You know, like I, I tried uh, Vertigo. And it, that, that was kind of the other thing. I found that any uh, movie that was in English that I, you know, the language that I spoke... I couldn't write anything about it, you know, it was there, you know, already, but if I, like, anything in a foreign language that I had to, like, use my brain differently for, it was easier to kind of stretch and pull apart and play games with, but I got so convoluted with, with Vertigo, because I got Vertigo into 12 Monkeys, and then back through Christopher Marker's uh, short film, Le, Le Jeté, um... And so you've got all three of these things kind of rolling around in circles, and uh, you just can't make a poem out of that yeah. <laughs> at a certain point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not a singularity there. No. That, no. you know, and I think the other thing is, and it's a thing that's been really interesting in these classes, the, the introductions to both craft books in fiction and the poetry class that I'm teaching... Mm -hmm have uh, tried to demystify the writing process or like be against inspiration mm -hmm. and be against being this mystical thing of the genius as this romantic idealist idea of the mm -hmm. genius poet with the intelligence from outer space who just can do it and just be inspired <laughs> have these poetic epiphanies and shit and um which yeah is not gonna get no you know my students to write but if you take the piss out of that, and it's funny because we were talking about this, and then a student uh, said, um, well, where's the magic in... Or we were talking about then another poem. So the other book that I'm using is uh, D.W. Snodgrass's Decompositions. Okay. It's 101 Good Poems Gone Wrong. It's basically the literary canon poems that he then rewrote okay. to be not as good. Oh, gotcha. And to show, and to prove something about poetics or prove something about poetic technique mm -hmm. by what happens if you take this poem that's canonical and everybody supposedly loves and then take something out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and some of them is just that the poem is the literal retelling of the event. Okay. Without any literariness, any delay in meaning. Mm -hmm. And the students said, yeah, but the word that, that's the, he took the magic out of it. And I was like, didn't we just say there's no magic? <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, I just said it's like, but wait, <laughs> you know, there let's is un magic. let's unpack this. Yeah, that there is the the space. I mean, do you find, especially now that you've gone undergone this major retrospective revision project, do the poems feel in their your relationship to them? Mm -hmm. Do they feel like they're almost they're this thing that's outside of you?" Yes, but, I mean, that happens fairly quickly anyway. I mean, once it's a book and it's on its own, it's kind of, it's it's gone, and it's, it's a it different... It gets an ISBN number, it... <laughs> well, I mean, but you're also, you're, you're filtering through so many different iterations of yourself as you go, as you grow, change, whatnot, that those reactions, and, and the ability to even write those poems to see that period becomes important because it it then makes it easier to make the next step or the next thought yeah. you know uh, you continue to make some progress that way um, yeah I feel like I'm talking like an idiot but I think no no I think that makes sense no I think for me you know it's funny watching people or, or mentoring people god forbid you know, who are... I, I was their age once, and yeah. I was a novice writer once, and but I actually, I never had... I never, I never had a workshop class. 
Well, ever. You're, you're much better off for it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, well, maybe. I don't know. Um, I've gotten to where I've gotten, I guess. But seeing them and thinking about it has made me sort of try to unpack my own process. Mm-hmm. And they're eager to hear about it. You know, they yeah. were like, how did this work for you? How do you do this? Like, you know, um, maybe I should start having guests. Yeah, I mean, there there is no real straight line yeah. for it. I mean, for me, I didn't send out poems uh, for publication until, like, 2016. You know, for, oh. for years, I just kind of... I was the writer that was like, if somebody wants the work, they'll ask. You know? Yeah. And it, people did, but not often. Uh but once you started, or I started, I should say, I mean, more you in the big sense, whatever. Uh, once you started having some success in getting published, it sparked something else. Yes. You know, and it helps you continue to build and, and throw these thoughts together. Uh, and then it becomes whatever it becomes from there. I, I, I don't know. But uh, whether it becomes like this big you know, pull out focus uh, movie of your life or whatnot. Hey, you're translating some version of your reality though and trying to get other people to, to read that reality and hopefully they're entertained by the way you see it. I mean, yeah, that's what most art is, I, I think, at this point in time. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's an incredible, I mean, it's not, it's not just entertained, but I think relatability, mm-hmm. I think. And finding comfort in someone else's experience, you know, I think about when I when I read your works, thinking about how you effortlessly move from sort of material experience. I'm in a time in a place I can tell a narrative, mm-hmm. and I think this is how I think your work has evolved over the 2010 to 2020. Uh, <laughs> span that is covered by a history of Bavac Rose Misplaced available on Kung Fu Treachery Press on all the big websites and if you just hunt Jason down you can get it um, is it in stores? I think uh, yeah Caliban and City of Asylum have it here yeah there you uh, go at least as far as I know mm. so uh, yeah um, that you know, the way that also you go from narrative to, I don't want to say metaphysical experience because that sounds like a religious poet, but there, there is a history, social consciousness, sociological imagination, mm-hmm. historical imagination yeah. that also that you point towards a larger truth than that. And that's another thing that I think develops through the book. Um, there... 2011 and 2012, I got lucky enough to do back-to-back cross-country road trips. Mm. In 2011, I'd saved up, and I did 35 days. 2012, I did 75 days. Um, it just happened that I lost a job, and severance package worked, and I could disappear. Um, so it was, m- over that period of time, me looking at the what was supposed to be the American dream that I was sold, we were sold, I don't think that's sold much anymore uh, because yeah. it really is non-existent. Uh, so there's a lot of coming to terms with that concept that it doesn't exist, and now it's trying to demystify any of that to let you know to make it easier on everybody else. It's just like here, this is what I'm thinking about this, yeah. and hopefully you're relating to it. And you know, I think we're all kind of going through that same process together. You know, and trying to sift through the lies of what's around you and what is actually happening here. So, um, not the 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 TV movie version or or the the film version that dolls up reality, or uh, the Disney version, or yeah. the American exceptionalist version <laughs> that somehow you know. I mean, you know, being. As we are of a similar vintage, mm-hmm. you know the the Ronald Reagan, we're the shining city on the hill. Yes, you know, and that as if you look at history and if you look at the America that left that is left behind that you focus on so well and so often, and going to these places that are off the interstate, mm-hmm. that are places where people where a lot of Americans live, and thinking about how. 
you know what those people have been sold and what yeah. what what America really is. Yeah. And I think now is we're in this moment where we're in this country that maybe struggles to solve some of our most basic problems because a lot of people are still holding on to the exceptionalists. Right. Well, if you don't confront your history, then you're just going to get trapped. And that's kind of where we are. We're in this loop. Dystopian loop? It gets used too much, but I mean... Uh, and it's accelerating and getting worse as it loops around each time. You know, I still the hopeful part of me, and I know I say this, I've said this on a podcast with you many times, mm-hmm. and many other episodes that were recorded and published years ago that are only five episodes past in the history of the podcast. The idea of the interregnum mm-hmm. that are we living through the the space between you know rulers mm-hmm. or between eras? You yeah. know, if the king is an it represents an era. The interregnum, the king is dead. Who's going to be the next king or queen? Yeah, I feel you know. There's part of the part of me that's somehow hopeful. Mm-hmm. Is that are we? Yeah, at this moment where the next thing, the next way that we're going to live, whether that might be better or at least fingers crossed, you know, not having the pain of watching everything around us die and get worse. Hopefully not. Um, you know, I, again, I think about, I was just thinking today about like, you think people fought with such ferocity and such anxiety over the last presidential election where we got to choose between two, the two guys who might lead us into the future who will not be alive in the year 2030. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They will not be alive in the year 2030. Yeah. None of these people are. But, I mean, we've also lost a, a sense of future in so many ways that you don't even look that far. Like, yeah, what does twenty? How do you even envision what twenty thirty is? It just it seems pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, right now. Anyway, I wish it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've said that to I even that's another thing I've said to my students is you know I think about my dad was my age in nineteen seventy four, mm-hmm. and if you asked him in nineteen seventy four. What is what's the next twenty five years of your life going to be like? In general, he probably could have had a pretty good guess. I think he pretty pretty much would have said, you know, said hey, that's seventy four to ninety nine. Yeah, I think he would have had a pretty good guess as yeah. far as at least maybe what his life would be like, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of what the world would be like. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, you I don't know. know that anybody could have predicted the Berlin Wall in that moment, but yeah, I mean, not the Berlin Wall, but it's like I'd still be living in stuff. a place, and I'd have a job, and I'd be retired, mm-hmm. and I would be, you know, I'd still have a house, and I would be, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, well, you know, okay, Berlin Wall, and so he was an engineer at IBM. Okay. And so in 1982, IBM decided and figured out that computers are as fast and as complicated. As they're ever going to get, and they're not going to be able to do more than what they've achieved by 1982. So, I mean, there are those things, but yeah. he would have known, well, there's going to be computers in the future. And so it has to go further. Yes. Um, or at least that we'd have them, and there'd be monitors and keyboards, and like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, which also I think is part of, you know, so much change is we have the technological disrupt, mm-hmm. which is not like fashion. Because you could just, like, you, you almost can't opt out of the disrupt. Because when the disrupt happens, all the stores where you used to buy that thing are now gone. Yeah. And you have to go with the disrupt. <laughs> you have no fucking choice. And, yeah, which is also probably why a lot of people are crazy right now. Or you're either crazy or you're sad. You can be both. Yes. Or you could be sad crazy, yes. It's not a bad thing, necessarily. I mean, we're well, all just I mean, yeah, holding I mean, on. Yeah, I mean, hey, the interregnum, it's going to happen. There's going to be a new king. Hopefully not fascism. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully not fascism. That's that's uh, that's the the phrase for for the evening or for the ever. <laughs> Jesus. I'm looking for a poem to make things hopeful. Is there, you know, do I have a hopeful poem? Do you have a hopeful I have a hopeful. How about? Oh, you got a suggestion? How about two twenty-eight? All right. Please. The postcard from Flint Hills. Okay. Because I think that's the, the you also have 
I guess here's the other thing that I think has happened over the course of your oeuvre or whatever, over the course of this book, is that you're also becoming more aware of the, whether you want to call it the environment or creation or mm-hmm. eternity. It's coming As to terms with, with your own death. Yeah. Um, yes, that's yes. what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do. <laughs> yes. We're all trying to, hopefully. No, we're not. Obviously, we're not. Anyway. You know, we're not. You know, I, I listened to about eight times today off the new Quicksand album. They have this song called Brushed, mm-hmm. which is the lead. They, they've not made enough. They, they made a ballad. That band has never made a ballad. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a vast song. Like, it's weird, but I listened six times. And there's a line where he says, a hundred years is never is just never going to be enough time. Yeah, and I was thought to myself, way too much, simultaneously. Yeah, you know, it's funny how it it works that way. And Um, my thought was, you have to be middle aged for that line to stick. mm One hundred years is just not enough time. Is the line, and I was like, you know, I wouldn't have got that at twenty, and maybe those guys in that band wouldn't have got that at twenty, but now they're in their fifties. Yeah, 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 yeah. Postcard from the Flint Hills. The Earth was never flat. There are no dark spots on the map with the inscription, There Be Monsters. I know this for certain. I've been spinning in circles on a bluff in the Flint Hills of Kansas for all of eternity. I've memorized every massive sky, every shade of blue. I've named every cloud. When I close my eyes and I hold my breath to fall through the water of space, I know there's nothing in the universe that will ever catch me. Mm. See? Yeah, I mean... I find that hopeful. That is hopeful. Right. I I would agree with that. I guess, for me, one of the things that I realized through the editing of, of this book, too was that each book or each next book gave me a, a, another step to push, you know, onto. Mm. So it was like, you know, when I wrote Stud Circle Blues, which was all poems about working, then it became easier to incorporate working into everything else that you were writing about. So then it just ties in. And then you do travel poems, and they started grabbing in with everything else and then you start swirling all these things together and you're kind of trying to address or add all these things how did you get here and how are you coming back from here all at the same time um yeah so i guess that was a a sort of a revelation that came out of this too you know they couldn't have continued to go without each one giving you license to take another step further and to tell another story that Mm. you didn't think about or you didn't know how to tell it necessarily so at the time Which gives me something to say in class on Tuesday thank you <laughs> good I'm, I'm happy that works for you um do you want to read another one before we go to the bottom five we're, yeah. we're getting close to an hour here all right or another one or two how about we do Kerouac go home yes I hear the waitress's footfalls and they sound like roses as they echo at Avenue B, as they echo at the Avenue of the Americas, as they echo at the intersection of Bleecker and McDougal where Silsby can't understand why there's so many people. Sure, he's got Mm. a few drinks in him, but I never thought I'd see New Yorkers turn heads in open indictments of procreation. Or at least procreation without the intent to further the fading bulb of humanity. Jay and Allie say they used to write Kerouac Go Home on the men's room wall at the White Horse. Dylan Thomas bleeds out. That blood trail runs to the Chelsea Hotel. I slipped on it when I tried to remember the last time I had a future. I tried to remember the last time I saw the ocean. There were Mustangs racing on the Garden State Parkway. There were little hands waving on the BQE. And I swear there was a Liberty torch in the harbor, its head struggling above the surface. I've snagged myself a driftwood sculpture. There is so much debris. The skull, the, the gulls have picked through the soft shell and horseshoe crabs. The few untouched are boiling to burst. But the ocean 
It still waves under the twin eyes of lighthouses. It never bothered with magic or loss. Mm. And since it's January, can we have New Year's Day on page 142? Cool. Oh, yeah, that's a short one. That's from uh, the Don Wentworth chapbook, Fumble's Revelation. Mmm. Chaplet, I guess, is what it was called. New Year's Day. To wake up certain nothing changed. <laughs> oh. You want the bottom five? Yeah, I think now it's time for the bottom five. Right. A series of questions not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. But here's the twist. There's a finite number of bottom five questions. And um, Jason's had them all and had has had several of them more than once. <laughs> and while I keep records of these things, meticulous paper records of all of these, I don't actually look those up before we go on the podcast. So we found a workaround. I'm going to ask you five questions instead. Yes, and I'm going to get five questions. You are welcome to have these questions for future Oh, I, yes, absolutely. They are intellectual property that I'm giving to you if oh, you so choose. Thank you. So, thank you. first question. Yes. Which philosopher would you prefer to sell you your next car? Oh, which philosopher would I prefer you to You know what? If it's a used car, you know, Schopenhauer. Yeah, that's the easy question. Schopenhauer. Because Schopenhauer would be honest about what, there would be no mystical <laughs> thing. He would be like, yeah, you know, there's a re, they're, we're, they're probably going to have a recall in the alternators. You know, head gaskets blow at about 80,000 miles on these bit things. It's just, but you will, the enjoyment you will get out of your car will just break your heart later because it is just going to decay. <laughs> In front of you. As I think about, I really love the car I have right now. A, an acorn fell on it, and there's a dent in the roof. And it's like, well, it's no longer perfect. <laughs> you know, I, that's what I said. I brought the thing home, and I parked it in front of the house, and I, I turned to Danelle, and I said, it's never going to be this good again. It's never going to be this way again. Which is what, you, what I would want to know, buying a car. And Schopenhauer would be the one to tell me... <laughs> so Schopenhauer is the answer. Schopenhauer, though. the used car salesman, which is a poem, I think. Actually, that that needs to be a poem. That all I right. Well, I'm happy. I, I've already started inspiring. Uh, two parter. There's a couple two parters in here. Okay. So if you could go back in time and meet anyone and play them a song, one song. Oh. What person and what song? <sighs> Nothing sappy and bully. <laughs> Play them a song, what person and what song. Wow. I just realized how much it sucks to to <laughs> do this to people. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> this is maybe why, you know, because part of it is I sometimes I just get tired of chasing guests. <laughs> and maybe this is why people don't do this show. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think Nietzsche could have used some hardcore. <laughs> and so I think Nietzsche... And uh, Black Flag Damaged, something on Damaged. Okay. Something on Damaged. Um, I think would that have balanced him out a little bit? It might have. Would I he have gone, <laughs> would he have had the break if when he saw the horse being whipped? If he had hurt, like, you know what I mean? Like, because Nietzsche is, you know, 18 to 20 year old. That's when I found Nietzsche. That's when I found both uh, Nietzsche, sophomore year of college, Black Flag freshman year of college. Oh, so yeah, they work out in tandem. They work out in tandem where it's just like, too much testosterone <laughs> and a brain. You're in trouble. And would he have he just, okay. Okay. I mean, would he have just kind of had that and maybe been a little more, a little bit, little bit less Zarathustra? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, something about that Germanic personality, I don't know if it would have helped, but oh, you never know. Could have helped. I don't know. So, yeah, I would have played Nietzsche some hardcore. All right, Nietzsche some hardcore. All right. You're teaching uh, American history to, to people coming to the country, and you can only show them one TV show from either the 70s or the 80s to explain America. What's that show? Whoo! To explain America. <laughs> The wrong answer is Perfect Strangers. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, I haven't thought about that show since about 1985, I believe. Yeah, so. no. Well, you know, 
for a while there, the thing I was I was self publishing chapbooks. I did a mm -hmm. couple in the early aughts, mm -hmm. and they were called Garbage Burritos. Okay, and I stole that from Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> when they asked where the Balky accent came from, and he said it's a garbage burrito accent, and they're like, "What's a garbage burrito?" And he said, "When he was in college, the burrito shop near campus at eleven, mm -hmm. instead of throwing everything out, they would just make garbage burritos, oh. and so it was basically whatever was left in the ingredients for the day for like a buck you could get, and what you had no control over the combination you got." <laughs> he's like, "Sometimes they were great." Sometimes they were terrible. They were always filling. And I thought, like, oh, that's what my poetry is. It's the leftover thoughts <laughs> that don't that can't go into my academic work, so it's a garbage burrito. So it would not be that. Actually, no, it would be that. You know, because I think it's, well, okay, this is how America sees outsiders. Yeah. This is how America sees you. Yeah. And I think there is something ideological about the Larry character because he's always scheming. That was the conceit of every show. Every episode of that show was he was, there was some fundamental falsehood, mm -hmm. some front, something that he had to pretend to be in order, in his own mind. His radical insecurity that I think so many people have. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, sometimes, honestly, I love my students, but their level of insecurity and anxiety <laughs> can be really exhausting. Wow. Can be really, I mean, their lives are so, they've been taught their entire lives. They're only as good as their last performance Ugh. or the next performance that might not actually ever happen. Mm -hmm. And that's Larry. So yeah, it's Larry Balky. It is actually Perfect Strangers. All right, it is. I, it is. Yes. That, that, standing. That. I mean, even the, the the theme song, standing tall on the wings that, okay. of our dreams. I mean, that is again. That is what we think we are. That is kind of the height of eighties idealism. Yeah, yes, I, and yet Larry is an idiot. Hmm. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's a scheming idiot. <laughs> But how many people to survive in this country have to be a scheming idiot? Yeah. Or at least pretending something about themselves, pretending to something about themselves that isn't real, that is a fiction. Maybe that show predicted social media as well. Oh my. So yes, that's the show. <laughs> These are great questions, by the way. Thank and you. I'm totally stealing them. And would you mind texting me them or, yeah, or no sending me them somehow and I will add them to the form? This is brilliant. <laughs> okay. 50 years in the future, and you're still here, either in corporeal form or uploaded onto a hard drive. Okay. What does the future look like? What does the future look like? As briefly as you can, of course. I mean, a couple sentences, if you can do it. 50 years from the future is... So it's going to be 2072. 2072. Theoretically, if, if you and I are here, we'll be... In our 90s. 90s, yes. Um... Unrecognizable from today. Yes, I would imagine so. Um, I think a lot of things that we find comforting and normal. Mm -hmm. Automobiles, meat with every meal. Um, all of those things are gone. All of those things are things that people can't recognize. I think... Honestly, I think even more of our lives will be pre-planned mm -hmm. and pre... Uh, algorithmically determined whether we go into the metaverse or not. I can see also a, a class of people who are totally, you know, online, not leaving their houses in the metaverse, living full and potentially productive and potentially fulfilling lives and Completely sort of online. a collection of sort of analog people. Mm -hmm. um, I think most of what we know now and I find familiar and find culturally encouraging well we'll just people aren't going to remember people uh my students today did not know who johnny carson was whoa i mean we I were doing sense yeah i mean we were doing alice walker's 1955 her great short story 1955 that's a thinly coated veil of elvis mm -hmm. and there's a line where the elvis character who's called trainer says get get johnny carson on the phone 
<laughs> and I was like, and we were talking about telling details. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, what does this detail tell? And they're like, well, you know, you can be on a show. And I was like, do you, well, do you know who Johnny Carson is? Do you know? And the weight of the fact that somebody could call Johnny Carson. <laughs> and the line is, get Johnny Carson on his phone. These people thing. White space. Two weeks later, we're on the Johnny Carson show. <laughs> and people were on the Tonight Show or whatever. And people didn't just didn't know that there was that degree of hegemony. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it, I mean, even stuff that's cool right now, mm-hmm. gone. No, I, the well, internet's only five years old. We move so much faster that yeah. So I think that's my my short answer is unrecognizable, mm-hmm. and a lot of what is familiar and what is comfortable will will be just gone. Damn. And we're not even maybe there won't even be nostalgia because we won't even remember it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what would be left at that point in time. Yes. I mean, so I mean, I think weather's going to really suck, but. White people, white middle class people will just get generators and solar panels and have their own infrastructure and will spend their disposable income on, it won't be survival, but it'll be lifestyle convenience. And then there'll be people who don't survive. So you're saying like it's a step above Octavia Butler's parable of the sower? It's not quite that savage. I think it'll be a little nicer than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a capacity for delusion Mm -hmm. and capacity for convenience Mm -hmm. And capacity for exploitation that we will, it'll be okay. It'll be okay, <laughs> but okay. it's gonna be fucking weird. Okay. Yeah. Fair so, enough. but uh, uh, weird and unrecognizable, and we'll just all eat soy products and <laughs> not go out for months on end because it'll just be terrible. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Yeah. All right. Last one. Suddenly, this podcast is interactive. And as host, your responsibility is to start or end an exquisite course. Corpse. Blah, 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 blah. What is the first or last line of that exquisite corpse? Of that exquisite corpse. Mmm. So you want the whole line? Give me a line of an exquisite corpse, yep. Give me a line of an exquisite corpse. Write me a line of poetry right now. Write me a line of poetry right now. Basically. Demigods speak softly tonight. There you go. I think that's a fine way to end. Yes. And that is about it. Uh, our next episode will eventually happen, and it'll be about something. I got plans and ideas, maybe. Uh, and if I don't get too busy, it'll happen. Uh, or it'll just... Episode 103, Jason Baldinger, New Hutch Chatbook. Um, in April. Our homepage where you can find new and all the old episodes is gonnadiepodcast.com We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible slash Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, and I never remember to put these things on Mixcloud, but there are some old episodes on Mixcloud, so you can find those. Uh, follow us on Twitter at at gonnadiepodcast which I remind, I forgot to announce our most recent podcast on Twitter. And we're it's on Facebook, which is the most hellscape of all social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, though Twitter is actually pretty toxic, too. I uh, never go there. So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's bad. Uh, special thanks to Andrew Fox for our lovely theme music. And thank you again, Jason Baldinger. The book is called A History of Backroads Misplaced. You can find it. You know how to use the Google. Just get this book. It's great. <laughs> Later, meets. is recording look at that oh yeah that was five minutes we lost five minutes that's all right we just have to talk about revision again yes we're going to revise our revision conversation well would you like to revise your intro matt yes i will actually i'll do it right this time (laughs) i'm going to take my glasses off so i can see the yeah i I need bifocals too and i refuse so Ah, it's too inconvenient it's just too it, it, I'm I just this and this and losing it and then Hildy hits me in the head and then these are sort of breaking and yeah. so it's just like damn it 
I was gonna get some cheaters at Rite Aid mm. and just start carrying cheaters around or leaving them places. Yeah. Or I'm just gonna do it and I might even just get transitions and I'll have one pair of glasses and I'll wear those pair of glasses. And fuck it. It's hard. I, it's the line. I fucking I do it live. Line. Yeah. I've heard bad things about the line, but <laughs> Well, so I guess there's a way you could do it where it's blended and it's not as I don't know. Fuck it. It's loud. Fuck it. Oh. Oh my. <laughs> How the hell did that happen? I was trying to get as much down as I could. At least it's not dog pee. Well, that is that is better, isn't it? Yes. I'm sure I'll mop tomorrow anyway. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to mop tomorrow. It's fine. We're good. Oh, God. This body cleans fine. So he'll be peed at 11 last night. I found it at 11 last night and brought out the to bring out the carpet shampoo room. So there's one clean spot in the hallway carpet. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's the original color? That's, that's what happens. Hi, uh, Oldie. Oh, Look at that pretty face. No barking. the sound of the spill. <laughs> that is... Yep. I'll just cut that out. Okay. Four fingers was too many fingers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take three. <laughs>